our Sunday School Hour, I'd invite you to stand as we sing hymn number 56, When We All Get to Heaven. Stand in as we sing this morning. You may be seen unless you celebrate a birthday and anniversary. We'd like to recognize you. Anniversary over here. How many years, Brother Summers? Right. Anniversary here? 75. Wow. <laughs> Looking good. <laughs> All right. Let's sing happy anniversary first. Good to be in the Lord's house today and to have each one of you here with us. A few things from the bulletin as we start. 
first of all, uh, the baby shower for baby Miles was supposed to be yesterday. It was canceled. Uh, baby Miles has had um, R RSV, I think this is the right terms, RSV. And uh, then family hasn't been feeling well. And so um, what we'd like to do is suggest uh, if you were going to that shower, go ahead and bring your gifts and we'll be collecting them uh, today and again on Wednesday. And then they can go ahead and uh, use those. And then uh, when they all get healthy, we'll get to be able to uh, see them and so forth. Uh, couples retreats coming up this weekend, going down to uh, Branson. Uh, they either be Thursday, Friday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, and uh, if you haven't registered, I think you can still do that. Uh, it's at livingunited.com, and uh, so encourage you to go have a great time. Ladies' meeting coming up February 22nd, 6 o'clock here at the church. Ladies, you can mark that down, plan to come to that. Teen activity on the 23rd, the teens are headed to Urban Air Trampoline Park, and uh, they're going to leave at 5.30, and the cost is $30 a teen. I'm kind of... Uh, I'm, I'm kind of heartbroken because I wasn't invited to go. But anyhow, I know that they'll have a great, I'm teasing, by the way, that's sarcasm. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for them to get to go, and I'm not interested. But anyhow, uh, that's why we have Brother Lalo, right? And so uh, it'll be a great activity. Teens plan to go and have a great time. Missions Conference, February 28th through the 3rd. I am excited about this. We're going to have uh, Brother and Sister Gritz with us. They've been missionaries of ours uh, ever since I've been pastor here before that uh, to England and appreciate them. And uh, then we've got two new couples, the Carters going to Portugal and the Sandellas going to check. And so if you uh, can just plan to be here, remember our big thing is that uh, on Saturday we have our international banquet. I believe that's 530. We'll have a great time of fellowship there. And uh, then, of course, taking our pledges and making our budget for the next year on Sunday. And so if you can be a part, I know it would be a great blessing. College days, March 20th through the 22nd. If you have any questions, you want to see Brother Lalo about that. And man camp, March the 22nd through the 23rd. Um, mark that down. From our prayer area here, I uh, have a couple need to add. And so if you have your pen handy... Um, we've, we've already got on here Pat Price. I would ask that you remember to pray for her. She's been having a lot of back pain, and uh, it's, it's basically left her homebound. And uh, Brother Tibb was just telling me that they went in and uh, talked to a doctor this week. And so uh, hopefully here uh, shortly she's going to be having some back surgery. And so if you would be praying for her, uh, ask that you'd pray for uh, Deborah Benson, she's going to have her uh, knee repaired, replaced on uh, Valentine's Day. What a gift, amen? And uh, so that's also their anniversary. So what a great way to spend an anniversary, getting a new knee. So uh, you would pray for her and the recovery of that whole process. And uh, then if you would pray for Betty Baines, she ended up in the hospital uh, Friday night. Uh, and uh, she's having some health issues, so if you would pray for her. And then Marty and Glenda, we've been talking about uh, the bushes. Uh, so they have determined that uh, the mass in her stomach is cancerous. And uh, yesterday they installed the port and then they started chemo yesterday. And evidently the chemo that they're giving her for some reason takes several days uh, to get that in. And so 
Uh, she'll be getting that chemo through Monday, and then hopefully sometime later this week, uh, they'll be able to go home. Marty called me on Thursday, and uh, you know he had hit that semi, and uh, they've kind of settled on that with uh, the trucking company's insurance because it was the trucking company's fault. And then they had put his arm in a cast, they cut the cast off, and they've determined that the bone that he broke uh, close to his wrist is kind of healing on its own. And so they've just kind of uh, put him in a splint, and they're going to keep a real close eye on it. And so pray that that thing, that bone, just continues to grow back together. Uh, they've got enough going on without him having to go in and have surgery and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, if you would pray for him and, uh, you know, just lift him up before the Lord. And then pray for their daughter, Tanya, because it's changed her life. Coming up now to care for her parents. Uh, they'll be moving back to, uh, they're in Wichita in the hospital. They'll go back to Iola, and then they'll, she'll get her chemo treatments down in Chanute. So uh, Tanya will be there shuttling them around and so forth. So if you would, uh, just pray for the Bushes, pray for the family all involved there. And uh, the whole goal, from what I understand, is that uh, they'll be able to shrink uh, this mass and then go in and uh, do some surgery uh, from what we understand the cancer is in the pancreas it's in the liver and so they need to go in and remove sections of each and it's a pretty delicate surgery uh, so I imagine I'll get the phone call right they want me to assist I've got a good old pocket knife and we'll just uh, no I'm teasing uh, but if you would pray for her pray for the decisions that have to be made in the upcoming days uh, thank you, Card. Thank you for all the visits and the calls to my mom in her last days on earth. It brought her much joy. Thank you for all the calls, texts, and hugs. She loved her church family and prayed for you all faithfully. She would have loved her celebration of life. We love you all, Debbie, Clem, and family. And it sure was a good home-going, uh, never excited about doing home-going services, but I'm telling you, there's a big difference when you're dealing with a child of God who loved God his, their whole life and you know that they finally made it home to where they've wanted to be for years and uh, that's the way it was with Miss B. And uh, I'm sure uh, that she's still relishing in the fact of being in the presence of her Savior. It's good to be together today. Lord bless you for being here. We're going to have Brother Foster come back. We'll get to our Sunday school time. Lord bless you. Stand once again, we'll sing hymn number 131, Christ is all I need. Hymn number Thank you. 
Sunday school classes. We are starting a new series in my class today, study on the Apostle Paul. Now, we do have handouts if you need one. Brother Potts has those in the back. Raise your hand. He'll get one to you. As you're waiting for that, we'll be in Acts chapter number 9 is where we will begin our study today. Acts chapter number 9. We're going to be looking at the life of Paul for this purpose and what he said in 1 Corinthians 11. 1, it says, Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. So as we look to the life of Paul and, and see how he followed the Lord, well, we want to pattern ourselves after that and make sure that uh, we are following the Lord as he would desire for us to. And I think Paul is a great example for us to look to and to understand uh, his purpose and his calling and, and his devotion to the Lord. And it, there's a lot to be said about being devoted to the Lord and what we need to do in our walk uh, with him. And I think that uh, we can draw much from the life of Paul and help us in our, uh, in our daily walk as we seek to serve the Lord and to please Him and, and uh, be an influence in this world for the cause of Christ and share uh, the gospel message with as many as God would bring our way. Let's look here at our text here and, uh, in Acts chapter number 9, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. They led him by the hand, brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. So as we consider the life of Paul, we, we understand that he lived for the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we've just read his conversion story here. Um, but he lived for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said this in Philippians 1.21. He said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So that needs to be our same purpose today. As, as we seek to serve the Lord, as we seek to live for Him, understanding that all that we do in this life, all that matters is what we do for the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Paul understood this very well, and he said, my life needs to be surrounded, it needs to be centered around the Lord Jesus Christ, and understanding this, as I live for Him, as I seek to serve Him with my life and, and all that He would have me to do while I'm here on this earth, understanding this, that to die is gain, that I'm, I'm living for that day and for that blessed hope that His glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I might go to heaven to be with Him one day. And now, Paul understood this in his life very well. So we're going to examine that as we go through this series. So, a little background. I know we, we're familiar with Paul and 
and I struggled whether we should study this or not, but then I was just encouraged. You know, it's, it's good for us to be reminded of people who are serving the Lord, who have served the Lord in the past. It just encourages us to do the same and to uh, draw insight once again and to be reminded of the truths that we find in the Word of God as, how, as to how we are to serve Him and how we are to follow. So we understand that he was a human author for over half of the books of the New Testament. Now that's amazing in itself. A pioneering missionary. He planted many churches and ministered to many individuals. He mentored preachers. He trained Christian leaders. He was fervent in prayer, mighty in faith, and faithful to the end. So as we study this amazing apostle uh, over the next several weeks in this study, I would challenge you to be strengthened in your own walk and in your own faith as we look to the life of Paul. But before he was Paul, as we know him, as he was the missionary, as he was the one going out and spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as he was mightily used by God, he was, in fact, before all of that, used by Satan. Paul not only approved of the persecution of Christians, but he personally hunted them down and imprisoned them during the early days of the church. So this is an encouragement to me in understanding that God is willing to save anyone. He's willing to use then anyone who would, who would then call upon Jesus Christ and who would uh, seek to serve them, Him with their lives. Understanding that God knows our background. He knows our past and He knows where we've come from. I'm thankful that we serve a God who sent Jesus Christ to be the payment for every sin. Not just some sin, but all sin. Even to uh, the sins of, of the Apostle Paul, who was a persecutor and, and one who would put to death those that were following the Lord Jesus Christ. God was willing to save a man like that. He's willing to save anyone who would call upon his name. So we serve a God who's seeking to save that which is lost. And it's no different here in the life of Paul. Paul was lost. He was, he was about the wrong cause. But God, thankfully set him straight. <laughs> he was on the right path now. So as, as we look at this and we understand, uh, as we look at this first lesson, uh, we see God's mercy and his redemptive power. And this is what changed the, uh, Paul from the persecutor into the preacher. So let's look here at uh, a little bit of his background. So he's, as we look at uh, Point number one here, Paul the persecutor turned preacher. Let's look at his tradition. Let's look at his background a little bit. So as we seek to understand the significance of Paul's conversion, we need to understand his background. And through the passages in Acts and sections of Paul's epistles, we get some insight into what his background was and what it looked like. Saul, like King Saul, before him was of the tribe of Benjamin. He had the best education the Jewish world of his day could offer. Years later, he declared to a hostile mob in Jerusalem, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous towards God, as ye all are this day. This Gamaliel, whom Paul studied under, was a well-known and well-respected teacher among the Pharisees in Jerusalem. So he had, uh, as far as education is concerned in the Jewish traditions, he was very well-schooled and very well-educated in those things. So this was his background. This was his tradition, if you will. 
But in this, he had a passion then, because of what he'd been taught and what he had learned, he had a passion for the Jews' religion. And we see that in, in what he, he endeavored to do and, and, re, and making sure that it was preserved and that it was not, uh, uh, there was no one, no one against it or any, uh, any sect against it. So this was Paul's mindset, and this was uh, the mode in which he operated. So Paul testified of his passion and religious zeal in several passages. We see it in Acts chapter 26 and verse 4, where he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most greatest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So as we see uh, people today, they're very passionate about certain things. They get behind a cause and they throw themselves to that cause, even though that cause may not be a biblical cause. But as Christians, I would remind you today, be careful what causes you get behind. The cause we are to get behind is the cause of Christ and making sure that we're following the Word of God and that we're passionate about those things rather than those worldly things, those worldly causes that would come our way. So Paul, as his upbringing was, uh, understanding the Jews' religion, this is all that he knew, and this is what he had been taught, and it's what his peers uh, were practicing. So uh, we understand where he's coming from, and that this is what he understood life to be about, and this was what he was all about. Before his conversion, Saul prided himself in his education and faultless obedience to the law of Moses. Devout Jews not only observed the books of Moses, but also the accompanying volumes of interpretations and embellishments. To them, these laws were the beginning and end of man's duty on this earth. Among those who were zealous for the law, Saul was the standout. He stood out in trying to observe all these things. Among those who were zealous for the law, uh, his confidence for his standing with God was in himself. Now, see, he felt like he was serving the Lord. But his confidence was in himself in doing so. And not only in himself, but in the religious efforts that he was trying to uh, observe and to uh, make sure that uh, he held those things and made sure he dotted every T and crossed, or dotted every I, crossed every T, uh, making sure that he did all these things according to the law. Boy, that's a hard way to live. That's a very difficult way to live, and, that, and any of us who have been saved for any length of time understand the difficulties that we have in warring in our flesh and in the spirits and wanting to do those things according to the spirit, but the flesh is right there warring against us. And, and it's no different here for a Jew. Now, they don't have the spirit of God within them. Uh, if they have not been saved by Jesus Christ, then they don't have the spirit of God, so they're doing all these things of the flesh, and you can imagine uh, you know, he, he says that he upheld the law, but uh, if he's honest with himself, and, and I know he reveals that over and over again in the, in the writings that he provided for us, uh, that he was not always faithful to the law. Uh, he had the same war within himself, doing that which is right and that which is wrong. So Philippians 3 verse 4 says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he must trust in the flesh, I more. So if any man's going to trust in the flesh, I should be the one that should be able to, according to the law of the Jews. Verse 5 says, circumcise the eighth day. So he's following uh, the law of circumcision there for the Jews. And of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, 
concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So outwardly, he was doing all these things. He had the right pedigree uh, to be the Jew of the Jews. And he was a standout, as we've already mentioned. And he stood out among the Jews as one who had that right background. So he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, the best of the best when it came to the Jews' religion. He was above all a legalist. Saul could state sincerely and without fear of contradiction that he lived for the law and by the law. So he had a passion for the Jews' religion. But also uh, we see his persecution of the Christian believers. Because of this passion then, it, it brought about a reaction... Uh, to those that would seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, those that had trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. See, this opposed uh, what the Jews were teaching. Saul viewed Christianity as a major threat to Judaism, and his goal was to stamp it out and to destroy all Christians. We see this in Galatians 1.13. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. Uh, So we see that he was steeped in tradition, this traditionalism that we spoke of last week. Those things that you do just because they've always been done that way and they're not grounded in biblical truth. So we have to understand then, as we we seek to learn from the Word of God, as we seek to learn from... uh, specifically Paul's life, we see that his life was steeped in this traditionalism. But what did it produce? Well, it produced a life contrary to the life that God had for Paul. It produced, uh, here we see, persecution of believers. And when we do things just because that's the way they've always been done and there's no biblical truth to uh, to the cause of that tradition that we're keeping, then we must question it. And we must examine it to find what its root is. What is the purpose behind it? And as we would look at those things in our life, then we must turn to the Word of God and find those things that God would have us to be doing. So as as we unravel here Paul's life, we're going to see some things happen that God does specifically for him and, and teaching him as he's unraveling then this background that he has. So Saul was convinced that followers of Christ were dangerous heretics. Persecuted, he persecuted them and he executed them. His goal was to destroy Christianity completely. You see, it opposed Judaism. Whatever it took, he was going to do. Just like today, as we see the radical Islamists, and uh, they're totally passionate, as Paul was. They're totally committed. But understand this, they're totally wrong. And there's a lot of people totally committed to, as I said before, causes today, but they're totally wrong. To Saul's way of thinking, followers of Christ believed and were spreading false doctrine. And it stood in blatant opposition to that which the Jews were teaching against this law of Moses that they were trying to keep. But in truth, Christ did not oppose the law of Moses. He fulfilled the law. It didn't look that way to Saul, however. Like the great majority of the scribes and Pharisees, Saul was sure that the Messiah had not yet come. 
They could not see the Messiah standing before them. They denied it. And thus he was convinced that believers in Christ were heretics. We first read about Saul in Acts chapter 7 and verse 58. It says, And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. So we see him at the stoning of Stephen, and those who stoned Stephen laid their clothes down at the feet of Saul. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, and then in chapter 22 and verse 20, the Bible tells us that Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. It seems then that he was not a mere bystander, but an active observer of this stoning, or possibly even the leader of it, who stood in agreement with Stephen's execution. Saul then set out to do everything he could do to oppose Christianity in the name of Jesus. He later testified that he arrested both men and women and had many Christians put to death. We see this in Acts chapter 22 and verse 4, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Acts twenty-two nineteen, And I said, Lord, they know that I am imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on Thee. In Acts 26, verses 9 through 11, I barely thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing also did I did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in the prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Now, understanding this background that Paul had, we had just read in Acts chapter 9 his conversion on the road to Damascus. Put yourself in the place of Christians in that day. What would your response have been when Paul shows up the next Sunday and he's preaching in your synagogue? (laughs) Would you have thought that maybe he had some ulterior motives, that he was coming in there, uh, posing himself as a converted Christian, that he might gather all of you up after the service and take you to be persecuted. You can't tell me that wouldn't be running in the minds of some of us. Uh, I'm thankful that God can convert individuals. And He can change them from the inside out. And He can put them on a new path. And He can give them new direction. And certainly, there's no doubt that it took some time for Paul to prove himself to be true to his, to his Savior, to the one who had miraculously saved him. So as we see his background here, he was not content to persecute and kill Christians locally. But he also received permission to travel to other cities and arrest Christians as well. Verses 1 and 2 of our text that we read today says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So he had the authority. Uh, to do this very thing, going about wherever he might go and, and to find these Christians to do as he desired with them. So Saul's persecution and hatred for Christianity and the name of Christ was well known. People knew of Saul of Tarsus. Uh, his fame went before him and all that he was about. 
Probably nobody expected what would happen next. Least of all would that have been Saul. Imagine, again, I think we get some understanding then of, of the passion that he had against Christianity. We could say it this way, that he deeply hated Christians. His desire was to see them annihilated. Taking them out of the picture. So this was his tradition, this was his upbringing. But then we see Saul's transformation. Whether it's the before or after pictures uh, that we consider. Now, I know probably many of you ladies, I know my wife's one of them, love to watch HGTV. Because we like to see the before and the after. That's all I like to see. I don't so much care about all the in-between unless it's uh, the guys working on the construction part. I don't mind that. But I like to see what it looked like before and what it looks like after. We like to see those things. We like to see the transformation, whether it's a, a renovated house or maybe someone's gone on a weight loss journey, whatever it might be, we like to see a good transformation story. But the transformation that tops every transformation is that of when an individual calls upon Jesus Christ as their Savior. A transformation of the heart. So how did this wicked murderer, Saul of Tarsus, dramatically change into the Apostle Paul? Well, we see it in our text today. We see that he heard the voice of the Lord. Let's look again at verses 3 through 7. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And, he, and the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Paul later testified that he received the gospel by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that was in Galatians 1, 11 through 12. The gospel is the good news of Jesus' burial, our death, burial, and resurrection that he provided for the payment of our sins. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also have ye received, and wherein ye stand. Verse 3 says, For I delivered unto you first... Of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So we see the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So who does the saving? Well, it's the power of God to everyone that believeth. Even though this wicked man was fighting against God and persecuting Christians, the Holy Spirit was lovingly drawing him and understanding, uh, giving him an understanding of his wicked heart and his wicked ways, drawing him to the Savior. It's no different for us today. It's the Holy Spirit of God who does the ministry uh, of pricking the heart and, and burdening the heart of their lost condition and drawing that heart to the Savior. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 4 it says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
We could look at the life of Paul and we could despise the things that he had done and, and the persecution and the executions that he uh, afforded those that would follow Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we could say that he did not deserve to be saved. But if we're honest with ourselves, none of us deserve to be saved. You see, it just takes one sin for us to be condemned to hell, and we're born that way. So I'm thankful that God was willing to extend His mercy to a man like Paul. And I'm thankful that He was willing to extend His mercy to all of us. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? This is God's desire. He came that all men might be saved. No one, no matter how lost he is, is beyond the saving power of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel message. The gospel is transformational. It changes our eternal destiny, and it has the power to change our lives immediately. Paul described the transformation that occurs at salvation this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I'm sure that it, it brings up memory as in our mind of the, of the day that we called upon Jesus Christ as our Savior, uh, feeling that burden lifted from us. And then as the Holy Spirit began to work on us and uh, to help us see truths from the Word of God of things that we need to rid our lives of, that we might be more and more like Christ as we grow in this sanctification process that began at the moment of our salvation. So Paul demonstrated in his own life that he was a new creature. It's evident that there was a change. Paul before salvation, persecuting Christians, putting them to death. The Paul after salvation, seeking on the, uh, the lost and sharing this gospel message that he once persecuted, that he once opposed. The power of the gospel not only saved Paul, but it impacted his actions and completely changed his life. And that's what salvation does. It changes our belief system, and that belief system then changes our behavior. John Newton said this, uh, well, his life was an example. It was another testimony of the power of the gospel to change lives. He was a sailor and then a captain who, rejecting his mother's Christian teaching and prayers, revealed in blasphemy and ungodly living. He became a slave trader, trafficking human beings. But through a life-threatening storm at sea, God arrested his attention, and Newton cried out to God for mercy and salvation. His life was so radically changed that he became a pastor and eventually a leader for the abolition of slavery in England. Even if you don't recognize his name, you have probably sung a song that would be familiar to you, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. Like Paul, John Newton became a new creature when he met the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul heard the voice of the Lord and he saw the vision of his new mission. So the bright light that shone upon Saul on the road to Damascus marked a new beginning in his life. He was in an overwhelming and fearful presence of Jesus the Lord. And once he was in the overwhelming and fearful presence of the very one he had been persecuting, 
It didn't take him long to recognize that Jesus was the Lord, did it? Matter of fact, it was immediate. You have to understand that there's a work that had been going on in Paul's heart. As I mentioned before, the Holy Spirit's working on the hearts of individuals in ways that we cannot see. And Paul had to be questioning the work that he was doing, whether it was right or whether it was the thing to do. And, and as he saw the Lord, he knew immediately, I've been doing wrong. My life is, is all about the wrong things. So he recognized Jesus as Lord. Saul's next question was a completely logical one. Recognized, at that moment, he recognized all that I have done is absolutely wrong. I recognize Jesus is the Lord. He asked this question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And as we recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord, that is our question every day of our life. Lord, what would thou have me to do? Verse 6, he says, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, put yourself in the position of Paul. You've come now face to face in the presence of the Lord. And your sin is before you. The wickedness that you've committed is before you. And, he's, and the Bible declares it for us very specifically that he was trembling. And I, you can imagine that you'd be trembling. You're standing before the Lord that you've been persecuting his gospel. You've been persecuting those that follow that gospel and have accepted that gospel. So he's trembling and he's astonished and he's standing before the Lord. He says, Lord, I've made a mess of my life. I don't know where to go from here. And he petitions the Lord, Lord, what would thou have me to do? If we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we must put ourselves completely at his disposal. Whatever you will, Lord, that is what I will do. What would happen in your life if you consistently ask God, what would he have you to do? We know this to be true as students of the word of God, that God has a purpose for every one of us. He has a plan for our life, and He will provide you direction. There are many portions of Scripture that remind us of this. In Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and He delighteth in His way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we know it very well. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. As a child of God, we should desire for God to be directing our path. There's many things in this life we don't know the answer to. We don't know the decision that ought to be made, but God does. And as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to be seeking Him, asking Him for direction, asking Him for guidance, asking Him what He would have us to do. How does God speak to us? Well, God speaks to us through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, and through godly Christians that he surrounds us with. In fact, God used a certain disciple, Ananias, to minister to Saul. If we continue reading in our text here in verse 10 of Acts chapter 9, it says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. 
For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. So Ananias was fearful as well. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So as we look to this story and we focus now on Ananias, we see that he's also a fine example of one who heard and then responded in obedience to the voice of the Lord. He knew Saul was on his way to Damascus to hunt uh, for him and fellow believers. He knew what his purpose was and he knew what his behavior was. But now he was being told by the Lord to seek Saul out and to minister him as a new brother. Let's continue reading in verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So what was Saul's new mission? Well, his new mission was simple. Years later, when giving his testimony, he described this calling that God had given to him. And we see it in Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You see, he understood his purpose was the very uh, thing that God had done for him. He was to share his testimony, what God had done for him. And you see that he, he spells out exactly his salvation story and how God worked in his life in opening his eyes spiritually and then physically. To turn them from darkness to light. Again, we can parallel that to both what took place spiritually in his life, and then physically, as God took his sight for those three days, and then it was given back. And from the power of Satan unto God, where he was once serving Satan, now he has the power of God on his life to serve God. And now as he has this power of God, what is his ministry? To share with others that they can receive the forgiveness of sins. For us as sinners... Born into this world as sinners, that ought to be the greatest uh, desire of our heart. It is something that all men are seeking. They're seeking peace within their hearts, but they're looking in all the wrong places. So as we, in our hearts, are seeking for peace, understanding that the forgiveness of sins is the only thing that will bring that peace, and it's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's seeking to share this message of forgiveness 
and then share this good news that there's an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. There's a, there's a heaven that awaits us. We have a great inheritance given to us by a loving Heavenly Father. I can't understand God's love and, and His desire to save sinners who have been living in opposition to Him. But yet, that is the God that we serve. And then as He has expressed that love and that mercy and grace, then we ought to also extend that love, mercy, and grace to those that God places in our way, those sinners that are directly opposed to God today, but knowing this, that through the gospel message, they can be transformed just as Paul was, or just as you and I were. I'm thankful we serve a God who's in the redemption business, the saving business, the restoration business, a God who seeks to work in the lives of every individual. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today that we can start to study again on the Apostle Paul and how you worked in his life. Might it help us in our walk with you to uh, be reminded of these things, to draw strength from these things that we study. And Father, if there's things in our lives that uh, need to change, I pray that you would help us to see those as well, that we would be true followers of you, and Father, that we would be faithful uh, to have that same mindset that Paul had. What, whatever thou would have us to do, Father, I pray that that would be our desire. And I pray that you just guide us now through these lessons, speak to our hearts, Father, speak to us once again in the service to follow. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll be right back here at 1030.